From Grain to Glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. I'm Brian. And this is the best beer show on the internet. Yes, hello. All right, before we get too deep here, I want to give a big shout out to the American Homebrewers Association. They do a lot to support homebrewing and homebrewers, and now they support us. During the AHA, we'll give you discounts at homebrew shops and select tap rooms, as well as give you access to the fantastic Zymergy magazine. Click on the fur link above our homepage and join today. Also, I want to give a big shout out to our patrons, specifically our Black Belt patrons, Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornsson, Tyler Romanski, Hop and Barrel Brewing, Brian Bryanson, <laughs> and Devin Stinson. Uh, if you'd like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash blindestudios and become a patron today. All right. And then uh, if you head over to blindestudios.com, you can click on our store link and check out our really cool merch. Um, we are looking for a new banana guy, so it's a whole thing. But <laughs> <laughs> oh it's, uh, you know, it's a saga of the, the banana tea, and someday I might be able to tell you the, or I might be able to spill the tea on the banana tea. Yeah. <laughs> But probably not. Uh, but yeah, you guys should go check out our store. It's there. All right. Uh, Brian, before we uh, do another thing, I would like to, I don't know if this is a new segment or what, and I'm just kind of coming off this on the cuff because we cheers at the beginning of the episode. We don't yeah. normally do that. Um, let's talk about, uh, I, I believe this is a very Midwest thing, the uh, the cheers and tap. Oh, yeah, because I did that, but then I realized that our microphones are literally connected to the table and that we take great pains to use these, like, cork-based uh, uh, 3D-printed koozies, or I'm sorry, not koozies, coasters, so that we don't bonk. So listen to this. That's if I put the glass down on the table, but if I put it on the coaster, it's more like that. Yeah. Um, no, but so I uh, I guess my my drinking education... If you want to call it that, yeah. it was you. Uh, you cheers and tap a shot, not necessarily a beer. I don't know if I maybe over the years that's just sort of turned into like a habit. A habit, and I having bartended in Northeast Minneapolis for a whole bunch of years and cooked and barbacked and all that stuff in that just that neighborhood. That's an old Polish neighborhood, and I'm not at all Polish, but mm-hmm. I'm. Definitely like Eastern European and mostly just German, you know, if you want, if you take any credence in any of that kind of crap. But like, I think I just always cheers, hit the glass and, and I'm paranoid to, I want to hit everyone's glass. Oh, you have to. Yeah. If, if, if you're, if you're doing a toast, if there's 12 people, cheers, like you have to hit 12 glasses and I'm person number 12, I want to hit 11 other glasses, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And so like, I think this like hit the glass and tap thing. I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah. So the, the the tapping of the table is always one, but yeah, I'm I'm also uh, like so I know there's uh, like when around that like it's bad luck if you don't drink after. Um, oh yeah, no, no, you can't cheers and put your glass down. You yeah, got you, t- you have to, to drink. take a sip. It's as small as a sip. Is- um, and if somebody if somebody offers cheers and you have an empty glass, you're not allowed. No, no cheers for you. Yep, you cannot yeah. cheers an empty glass. Uh, I don't, it's just it's. I, I noticed I, it while we were doing Yeah, thing. I love these. I love the little intricacies, man. Yeah, like, so if you guys have, like, I guess little, like, uh, drinking habits where you're at, uh, let, let us know because I'm <laughs> curious. What are, what are your drinking intricacies, man? Like, there's I, I, there, I, there's I, weird, like, drinking, like, that. has different rules, like, uh, all around the world. Mm-hmm. It's very. 
Well, what did you, what did you think about like Cologne? Like when you were in Cologne, there I like, did not go to Cologne. Well, for me, with in Cologne, Germany, it was uh, like nine dudes on a street corner, and there were two cases of beer stacked up, and they were just standing there drinking beer, and that was to- totally fine. Right, like that's what you do. And then on one of the nights, you know, we had gotten to our hotel room, Jenny and I, and then uh, spent <clears throat> the rest of the evening walking up and down the street with an open container drink and just, you know, enjoying the night and enjoying well, and the lights. When, uh, one of the, I guess, traditions or have, I, I guess more of a tradition uh, that I brought back from the UK mm-hmm. was round buying because that that's, too. that's like a very big, like you just, you go and you buy a round and yeah. like you kind of swap rounds out and it just seems very efficient to me. Like, well, if you go with five people, you're going to have five, five rounds. You're only going to pay for one, one, but then you were going to have five beers, so you're you're going to have five beers anyway. But it also makes it easier because you only have one person going up to the bar, right? And so it just it makes things much work. easier. Yeah. Well, awesome. So what are we doing today? We're going to kind of keep going chapter two yep. on this uh, brew like a monk book. Brew like a monk. Um, and then yeah. So I guess before that, uh, anything beer related on your radar? Man, I not a lot going on. Okay. Um, I, I do want to give a, a shout out to uh, Sugar Creek uh, Malting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's or Malt, Malt Company. I wasn't so. trying to gloss over that. We just got this huge box of stuff. It, well, um, you know, a couple of shirts and a bunch of malt and some books or little like, you know, pamphlets and that and stickers on how their malt company works. So this yeah, is. Yeah, we spent, I guess, yeah. like, a, I don't know, I'd say like a half hour before the show today kind of sniffing and mm-hmm. looking and tasting. And we're like, we're kind of, we're putting, we're putting together some beer ideas. Uh, I guess we have to do a sati because we talked about it last week. So we got to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're, 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 uh, we're kind of going through that. Very excited to brew uh, with some of their malts and then have them on as soon as we have yeah. uh, a beer done. So. Yeah, I wanted to. So John Beal, like I, when we were kind of messaging back and forth with Sugar Creek um, Malt Company. I mean, it's obviously one human that we were talking to, and that on the box on the label it says John Beal, and so I'm assuming that's who we were talking. Yeah, because we to. didn't actually exchange names. Uh, yeah. we're terrible. <laughs> Damn it! And, and you know the 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 first pleasantry that you know you exchange names. But what I wanted to say is that I for for any any person to like take a box of to take a box, put some stuff in it, print out a label or bring it to the post office and send it to us in the sticks in Wisconsin is a huge deal to us. And it, mm-hmm. and it just, we can't thank you enough for thinking of us and taking the time out of your life and your schedule to send us a box of malt that we will most certainly come up with a, an amazing recipe <laughs> and try to make the best beer possible. But uh, so there's some really cool stuff in there, and we'll kind of sift through it and figure out. Uh, and and I'll I will actually brew a beer, which will be weird because that'll be the first beer that you've brewed that in. I brewed in like three and change. Yeah, um, I've been part here and there of some brewing things, but I just don't. I just find well, it's it's time, it's so. a uh, it's a race to see if you brew on my system or the hop and barrel or my pilot pilot system. system. <laughs> <laughs> we will see. <laughs> But in any case, uh, Sugar Creek Malt Company and, uh, you know, John Beale, man, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. All right. Uh, Diving into uh, Brew Like a Monk. So, again, um, our discussions on this are more inspired by the chapter uh, versus, like, going through the chapter verbatim because this is a lot more... 
of a history lesson no. than like a brewing book. I, it's it's different. I assume that most people can figure out how to read this book themselves. So I think we'll just take the highlights. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, so this uh, this the second chapter, um, like the chapter title is inspiration. Uh, and so it goes through um, all of the active uh, Trappist breweries at the time of writing this book because, as as we've discussed, that number changes. Yeah. Um, and goes through what their current brewing pro uh, brewing uh, like I guess process looks like, what beers they're currently brewing, and for most of them, it's one or three. There's not really like these these aren't breweries that are pumping out different beers all the time. No, this is just the same basically the same three beers and there's a lot of party guile involved. Well, not necessarily. We talked about that. The only one uh, still doing party guile and that's only some of the time is West West Veteran. Is that right? Okay. Yep. We did I guess. Yeah, we talked about that on the last Blam um I which I'm I, it's just such a great acronym. <laughs> Blam. Um, yeah, so going through this, uh, there, there was a few things I really wanted to pull out. One is how they created their own gravity system. <sighs> Just another complicated thing to add to this. But it's not complicated at all. No, it's really not. It's, it's the simplest gravity system I think I've come across. It's just another thing. So they use specific gravity, um, but they drop the, the 10 off the front. Um, and so, or I guess they, they, what is it? They multiply it by a hundred or something. And then they get the thing. So like, um, a Belgian nine is a 1090 beer is what it kind of boils down to. So like a Belgian 12 would be, um, like a, uh, 1.120 beer. Right. Um, and that's, it's just, it, it's interesting that they came up with their own when they were already measuring things. It, se it seems like a weird thing to do. It really does. Um, the other thing I noticed going through this chapter is between, like, I tend to forget how tumultuous a, uh, a time that part of the world, like, was in between... How, was it like the French Revolution was the 1860s, mm -hmm. uh, 50s, 60s through the 19, uh, well, 40s, right? Um, and so between between the French Revolution, World War One, and World War Two, all of the Trappist breweries have been ransacked, destroyed, or a combination of the two, and then they've had to rebuild. So all of these, like we talk about these brewing traditions that are thousand or hundreds of years old, but in reality, these breweries are barely over a hundred years old. Right, and then none of these breweries are in the middle of Belgium. They're all they're all very close. They're all bordering to bordering, and so you know. Aschel in the Netherlands, West Mall is probably the closest one in country. Roquefort or Valchemay, West Vlader, and all bordering France. And then the the two I mentioned first, the Netherlands. So, you know, and then in the like a hotly contested area, always. Oh, I'm sorry. I was way off. The Were French you? Revolution was the 1790s. What the f oops? God damn it, Casey. What? I'm sorry. I was reading a bunch of stuff today. I looked at you and nodded. 
I know you did. <laughs> you didn't know. In any case, so this isn't that, you know, long of a, in the grand scheme of things, you know, Trappist beer has been around for 100 ish years and, and it's kind of where it's at yeah, yeah and trappist beers trappist beers of the 1920s they just weren't as strong as today but they were stronger than other beers you know this was far back as the 16th century brewers learned they could ch- you know charge more for strong beer too and so i think that you know you've you've got a little lesson in what's beers are called good or small beers you know, then we, uh, I don't know, how much, of, Casey, do you think this runs into, like, oh, the water's not so good, so here's a small beer, two, two and a half percent. So, and if I that mean. that was just as much of a thing. Well, maybe. Um, so, but, like, there's, uh, I want to say it was Ashel and, uh, was it West Mall? Yeah. Uh, made a big point of saying how great their water was for brewing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it could be a lot of, well, the water's not great. So we make smaller beers. But I think it's just what people were drinking at the time. Because even um, there, even in this, like when we're talking about these Trappist beers, these bigger beers, they, they have like what's commercially available. And even still today, they will still do like three times a year brew a big batch of small beer or table beer for the monks mm-hmm. because they need like a two and a half, three percent beer to supplement their diets or to drink on more of a daily basis. So they're not getting kershnickered on 9% beer. Right. So yeah, it's not, monks aren't, you know, that's the common misconception is that a lot of these beers that we can get here from the monasteries are the high gravity. What's, a good reason behind why those are more prevalent. Well, they hold up longer. They hold up longer. They hold up better. They age they better. They sell will sell better in our markets. Yeah, I had a, a a fan of the brewery text me and say, "Hey, um, we got beer X from you around October. Gave it to somebody at Christmas. They just drank it now, and they said it tastes different than it normally does." And I said, "Well." You know, uh, what did we say a couple episodes ago? The beer's in the can. It's just getting old. It's getting old. It's not aging. It's not aging. And so there's a the line to ride here is with aging, does the beer get better or worse? Yes. It depends on what is it. Is it this gravity? Is it that gravity? Is it this beer? Is it that beer? Is there 60, C60? Like with you guys for homebrew, C60 caramel age that find oxidation you know and so you know what what am i getting at here it's like well why are we getting higher gravity beer from these trappist breweries around here because it ages the best it makes them the most money it you know it doesn't look bad if they send a tuna so speaking speaking around here uh did you read um what uh the west veteran uh like head monk said about the u.s market that it's garbage shit and don't no uh, hang either. On, I hang don't on. know. <laughs> uh, let's, let's see if I can find it. Um, so West Veteran, um, like they don't. Have, oh, you're talking about when they made this book in 2005? Yeah. Oh, it's not probably relevant for now. Um, so. I want to see if I can find the quote. I just but. remember years and years after this book came out, West Veteran had a. F- 
Here it is. Here it is. Some if um, if our beers had a label, it would say "Do not uh, import to United States." Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because what I was going to say on to to that end was that when West they needed a roof for their monastery, and they were like very very begrudgingly and I remember how many years ago do you think this was this was seven or eight now I think but this book was 05 but then what I'm talking about was seven or eight years ago yeah where they had released a I think you could get in the pack it was four bottles and two glasses and they were begging people begging people online don't split this up and no one listened to that because it's us in the United States and we're just like, whatever, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's more what my reaction was on that. And I get that. Like they they didn't want someone to take this nice pack that they made for, you know, $50 for four beers and two glasses or whatever. It's probably a lot more than that. But they didn't want to break it up. So then some person pulled it out and put it on eBay for $9,000 because then the whole spirit of the thing was – we're just trying to get a little money for our, our roof for the monastery, which I think was the case. Someone proved me wrong. Go ahead. But it ended up being, well, we could sit and put one bottle of Westie 12 online for $9,000, but we don't have the time because there's like four monks that work there. Like, you know, so in the spirit of the thing, of course, every everybody screwed the pooch on it. Yeah. And, and one one single bottle ended up in my hands back when and, and none of the rest of the pack and I couldn't yeah, get it. So. And so like reading this chapter is worth it just for like little stories yeah. like that and learning about these monasteries um, and going through them, they all have one thing. Well, well, besides um, being destroyed in that 200 year period, mm-hmm. apparently it was more than a hundred years. I'm sorry, guys. Um, they, uh, they also have like a very hard time, especially in the modern era of striking a balance between brewing and their traditional monastic duties. Because, like, we have to remember, these are monks. Like, they are required to have a certain amount of prayer time every day and um, other chores around the monastery that they have to do and all of these other things. And you can contest to this. Running a brewery is a full-time job. I, yeah. More than a full-time job. I spend very little time thinking about the actual brewing process and more time thinking about the actual like business piece, which is a shame, but I'd signed up for it. So, (laughs) right. Um, and one thing that, uh, some of these have done, uh, some of these places, they've put, um, hard caps on the amount of production they'll ever grow. Uh, Wes Vleteran um, put on a – I should have taken a little bit better notes on this one. Well, but. Let's find, take a look at and, and find out, but I'll explain why. Because they, they only have one size of building and they only have X income and they're a church. Well, like this but all, that's you – know. but they could grow it. Do they want to though? No, and that, and that's and that's why they put the grow it growing it is on. yeah growing it is fine. But are you going to be able to find enough monks to to do this sort of stuff? And I think you know some of the hot takes here. It's like they they call out like specific these specific. Yep. Uh, they they monks. produce uh, forty seven uh, hundred and fifty hectoliters 
or about 4,000 barrels a year. Um, and they brew. That's a that's quite a lot of beer too. Yep. Actually, uh, they brew uh, seventy times a year, um, two to three days per week, twenty five to twenty six weeks, um, and that's the most that they will ever make. They're just like, all right, this is this is what we can do, and we're just going to do that. Right. Um, they've been doing that for almost sixty years now, brewing that amount. Um, West Mall is similar, except West Mall has a thing where the monks don't brew there anymore. They have secular staff come in and do all the brewing, but everything goes through a panel of monks, and, like, the monks own the brewery. So kind of in your position where the monks aren't aren't in the brewing process, but they've capped how much they will make. They've uh, – and, like, they – like, there's, there's, like, three rules. One is recipes will never change unless um, a recipe go – or an ingredient goes extinct, and then the panel of monks has to decide what what ingredient it will be exchanged for. Um, they will only produce up to X amount a year. Um, and then I can't remember what the third one was. But it was something, like, also, like, just super... Uh, no, oh, advertising must be low profile. That's what it was. Um, so, so here, here's what it is. Production is capped at 120,000 hectoliters, or about 102,000 barrels, is the most they can ever produce. That's a lot of beer. <laughs> there will be no changes in the recipe. The only changes we know of are when some varieties of ingredients cease to exist. Um, advertising must be low profile. West Mall has a solid presence in cafes and other beer establishments, including simple coasters and elegant leather menu binders. So you can't like over, go overboard on the advertising. The beer speaks right. for itself. I guess as it also as you kind of go through this chapter, there's it it it's clear that a lot of these guy uh, a lot of these monasteries sort of work together too. So it's you know like Dingaman's is a malt that you can get, whole flower saws or hops you can get. So Aishel uses Dingaman's malts, whole flower saws, hops acquired from West Mall. And, you know, your water is soft in that area. So in, you know, the, 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 in that area. So if you think about it, like all of those six in the area probably have different water. Well, no, probably they do have different water profiles easily. So they're going to conduct their step mashes a little differently. But... West Flatter, like West Flatter and Aishel uses, Aishel uses freshly harvested yeast from West Mall. They pick it up on brewing day, and then as we go on in this book, it describes them actually like shoveling it into something. Yeah, <laughs> which is always hilarious to me. Just thinking about shoveling yeast and it being out in the open in the air just sort of freaks me. That well, you know, the they're looking out. for that bread of myces. <laughs> well, with Orval, I understand there's a little bit of that. In in there as it is, they ever pop a bottle of Orval? I mean, they're in Skittle bottles. Like uh, there's a there, there's a story in here about Orval that I loved. Yeah. Um, the like the Belgian like scientist who did all of this brewing stuff. Uh, we talked about is like day. I gotta I gotta find it again. Mm-hmm. Um, Jean Baptiste, no. As you look for that, I would say. And, and maybe we went over this, but to kind of cap the, this beefy chapter off, between the French Revolution, World War One, and World War II, all of the Trappist breweries have been ransacked, destroyed, or a combination of the two, and have had to rebuild. So what we're looking at the is... The clerk. 
the clerk. So yeah, so like the this uh, this this microbiologist de clerk, he was one of the first people to like actually talk about yeast, especially in like the Trappist Belgian area. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was working with a lot of these places, and he went into Orval and convinced them to clean out like the the beer stone from their fermenters. Um, which it was basically like this, like buildup of yeast cake over the years, and then people got pissed because it changed the flavor of the beer. I'm sure it did because it was now like a super clean beer. There was an abrettomyces in it or whatever. So now they have they since since then they've had to reinoculate abrettomyces into their yeah. beer in order to get like that that Orval flavor. Do you remember when we popped the Orval cap here? Yep, and it just and it, it bla- went over it there, blasted off. Uh, and I was telling you some other stories about popping Orval bottles from time to time that are a few years old. And, and that that's kind of a oh, blessing and curse of import beer, especially these days. I mean, even back in the day, I think. But, you know, having the that bit of over chewy, over yeasted bottle, not bottle condition, but bottled beer. Right. But anyway, um, yeah, like I said, so to recap, the you know these all of these breweries between the French Revolution, World War One, World War Two, all these Travis breweries have been ransacked, destroyed, or a combination. All the beer was stolen. They've all had to re- rebuild, um, and they've had a hard time kind of striking the balance between brewing and monastic duties because, well, I don't think about it like it's you know you're trying to <laughs> working at a brewery. It, and being religious are, are, doesn't really go hand in hand. So each of them come up with different ways to kind of balance how this works. And I think a few of them, you know, have, you know, the cheese making and then it, it, any Trappist product is a way to finance the monastery, you know. And that's what this type of the Cistercian religion does is they are trying to keep the religious order together while also making sure that everyone has the enough monastic robes to wear. I don't know. You know, they just, you know, it's just part, it's part of their religious order to, to make or do something and make money from it to keep the Abbey together. Yeah. So, and then there is a lot of like service related things for the community. So that's part of all this, but beer is mixed into it. So it's a little bit, um, yeah, I don't know, like, so like going through this book so far, what it's kind of done for me is, and I know we're, I mean, we're on chapter two, but we're about halfway through the book. Um, because it, it goes quick. Um, this, it, it's, it's demystified these Trappist breweries a little bit. Because I mean, they're they're just breweries. Um, learning that these aren't really like things that have been passed down generation to generation. Like they've had to kind of rebuild and rediscover and stuff like that. It I mean it means like we can make Trappist style ales as home brewers with just a little bit of research and a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, should we dive into some listener mail? Yes, as always, we appreciate you guys sending us messages, and we have tons of them all the time, which is so fun. So, all right. Uh, yeah. This week we have uh, a email from Chris. Uh, first off, I'd like to say thank you guys, uh, or 
thank you for all you guys do. I uh, love the podcast. Listen to it all the time. Even go back and listen to the Eddie Style Challenge when I go to brew a new style just to refresh. Um, you guys deserve a pat on the back for sure. Can't wait to the lager challenge. Of course you can't because that's a thing that I mentioned twice and now it's a thing. Damn it. I know. I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, also, uh, A. Anton from last week. Uh, sorry that I came off snippy. I was more yelling at Brian than anybody. Uh, what were you? Wait, stop. What were you? Yeah, I didn't see this. You uh, were yelling you were at there. me? No, yeah. I, I know I was there. <laughs> I, don't ever, I don't ever really look at it like you're yelling. No, I know. I, I got I got snippy like because I keep getting emails about the Every Style Challenge and like when am I going to do the rebrew and oh. I started doing the rebrews and I was unhappy about it. <laughs> but like, not really. you know how it is. We're just some dudes. Like I don't really ever... Casey's not a really snippy. It's just, yeah, I don't get snippy. It's just Casey. Um, to the back, logger challenge. Um, I've been using Brewfather app for a while and love it. Um, and I built an amber ale recipe. And I noticed for the first time that it said uh, dissect power more than 84 linter. It was green and Brewfather is good about uh, if your style hits green, then you're fine. So I figured it was okay, uh, but it's the first time I ever saw this in my recipes, so I didn't know if I created a monster problem or got too complicated with a recipe. I remember the episode for creating a recipe and keeping it simple, but I certainly like to set outside of the box and don't know or didn't know if there was a time you talked about this. Um, I'd love to listen to the episode. Again, thanks for everything. We have touched on diastatic power in the past uh, when we went through the malt book. Um, but Brian, what is diastatic power? Yeah. So if, if you've been, been brewing for any span of time, you probably come across that Lintner. Okay. Which Lintner is just diastatic power, which, uh, or DP, however you want to put it. So when you're exploring different malts, kind of learning how to mash, you want to know what, what this means, well, it's an efficiency thing. So it's a measurement of what your malted, keyword here, your malted grains enzymatic content, okay? So when grains malted, enzymes are produced during the germination, uh, and then these are responsible for converting that starch into sugar when you mash, and we talk about mashing all the time and what temperatures to use. So diastatic power is an indicator of the amount of enzymes that are available to convert the starches into sugar. So in the U.S., DP is measured in degrees of Lintner. Uh, so malts with enough DP to convert themselves are at least 30 degrees uh, Lintner. Um, base malts can get up to like 180 uh, Lintner or more, or more. Um, so, but that covers what's diastatic power, but some actual numbers to take a look at, uh, you know, are more common. So your wheat malts are going to be high, like super high. Two rows, pretty high. Pilsner, Vienna, rye, all super high. And then there's like a pretty big break. So you're, you're like, Munich at 10, 20, et cetera, like 10 is about at 40. And then anything really under like a 40. Well, once you start roasting that grain, your diastasis uh, diastasis is gone. Yeah. Your DP goes down. DP is just, or just gone completely. Yep. So for all grain recipes, a substantial amount of baseball, base malt, diastatic power isn't an, isn't an issue. Well, and that's why you usually typically see 65 plus percent yeah. of base malt as... 
like as, as the base for a recipe? I would say our brewery is at three and a half years. If, if I had someone who had the time to read the malt certificate every time and crunch those numbers, if I felt like I needed to pay somebody to do that, I would. So I think I again love the listener mail, but like this is another one of those things where it's like, don't worry about it. I mean, but keep it in mind. I just, keep it in well, mind. But so, don't don't worry about it so, so much. So, but at the same time, we keep seeing a rise of very heavy adjunct beers, and then diastatic power becomes more and more important because mm-hmm. the more adjuncts you have, like you're not getting that. Con- you you don't get. Um, the conversion from them. You don't, they don't have those enzymes. Yeah. So the only time this comes into play is if you're doing a higher proportion of specialty or, or like, uh, unmalted adjunct. So like, look at, look at, uh, like Katie's white stout. Mm-hmm. Diastatic powder was fairly important there. Like as far as where you're getting those where sugars gonna and convert. what's going to convert. And yeah. And then it, the other thing is if you make up with smaller sugars to help convert, you're going to stretch the body and it's going to change things. So, I mean, there's, there are a lot of moving pieces in brewing, but. Uh, should we take a look at this recipe quick? Yeah. All right. Uh, so this is uh, Chris's, what do you say? Amber? The link, yep. Amber. Link Amber. isn't working for me, but. Um, oh. I have 70% golden promise. Okay. Uh, 13% uh, what, muni- or no, uh, C20. Mm-hmm. Um, eight and a half percent Munich 60, mm-hmm. uh, four percent victory Munich 60. Yeah. Caramel Munich 60 from Brees. Yeah. Um, four percent victory. Um, and then four percent, uh, uh, wheat white malt. Okay. Th- this is a lot. I'm going to actually look it up. <laughs> I can't get the link to work on my, uh, can you, uh, you, would you want me to send it to you? Well, like? I don't have brew father anyway, so. Oh, because you're on that damn iPad. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll pass this over to you as soon as I read the, the hops here. Yeah. Um, so then it is uh, 30 IBUs of Chinook at 25 minutes and uh, 8 IBUs of Citra at 5 minutes fermented with 1056. Okay. Here's the recipe yeah, there. Turn, turn that for Here, me. I'll just here, unplug that and pass oh. that over to you. Yeah, I mean, first glance, it looks, I mean, it looks solid. Uh, Diastatic power is definitely nothing you need to worry about there. You don't really have any adjuncts. Um, The closest thing you have to an adjunct is the wheat, but it's malted wheat, so you have diastatic power there. Yeah, oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I kind of got hung up on what what the beer style was. Uh, Amber. Yeah. Oh, uh, if you gave me some time with this, I could find a reason to get rid of the 60. Um, um, yeah, you probably don't need the 60. I feel like you're going to get enough color from the Munich and the Vienna. Um, or I'm sorry, the get, get rid of the 60. Oh, and this the is in grams too, I, which I can convert in my head just totally fine. But um, yeah, I could, uh, I could, I could, yeah, there's a massive argument to get ditch that 60 and find. Why, why, two, why get rid of the 60? Uh, I'm a hundred percent of the time. I'm always like wary about like oxidation on the sixty, and so we we talk about you've the- got four hundred and fifty grams of of old, you've you've really like sort of put all of your eggs in one basket on that when you could layer a little better. I think 
So we, we, we talk about, you keep talking about uh, oxidation uh, with caramel malts. Um, is like, and I don't want to get too deep here, but is there a like, like, is it, is it 20 plus? Is it 40 plus? Is there a range where you get oxidation with caramel? Didn't we do an episode on that? We did. I'm just like, I <laughs> talk about it like a reminder. When, when you start getting in between like 50 and 70, and I don't know, they don't really make a 70 because once you get to 70, it starts being a weird. I don't know, but they make a 100 and a 90 and the 90 is amazing. They do. And they make a, uh, that what's, what is always my answer to like making good layers in a stout is that, um, DRC Simpsons. Yep. Double roasted. Yeah. So, I mean, if you put like a little bit of that in there, it would go a long way. I mean, what are you, what are you trying to do with that much 60L? You're trying for... You're going, looking for the color. Color and depth. And I think you can achieve that with something higher with less. And then you can add more of something lower to, to even... To even add in yeah. some more. But that's just me. Yeah. No, I, I, I think the uh, overall recipe doesn't seem... The overall recipe is really good. Yeah. yeah. Good job. All right. Well, should we get out of here? Yes. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in this week. Again, if you have any questions, show ideas, or what have you, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindnessstudios.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnessstudios. Follow us on Twitter at blindnessstudios. Or find us on Instagram at blindnessstudios. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>